Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. M.I.P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Get woke. All right, folks, I know it's Friday, but this is a special edition of Thursday Coast. We were running something special on the past couple of days, and so we are having a Thursday Coast our first Thursday coast of 2021, a day later. But I didn't want to postpone it until next week because of the urgency of what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, my God. And, um, you know, I thought we'd do well um, to have uh, our most uh, esteemed resident Politico. Yeah. And most consistent. I mean, this is the Politico who was here more than anyone because he's here every week and he's been here for over a decade so wanted to get his Amazing. thoughts and, and we always have some very thoughtful conversations Man. i know everybody is looking and wondering like nobody can believe it and what's going on so wanted to hear you know what his thoughts are and obviously we both have been looking at all of the analyses and the punditry and everything as if any of that matters um there's good news and bad news first of all he is the founder of daily coast the largest online progressive community and um, the founder of Civics with a Q, um, uh, and a lot of polling information. But um, there's there's good news and bad news. So in terms of what's happened in the past seventy two hours, let's let's start with the bad news. I want to start with that, and then we're going to talk about Georgia because that's the good news. In spite of it all, we control the house. So we'll get into that. But first and foremost, Happy New Year to Marcos Melissas. Happy New Year. And and also, buddy, uh, hope your holidays were great and everything. Um, Nicely but, isolated, safe. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah. It, that's yeah. that's that's the best thing to be. Um, but um, oh my God, what did you think about Wednesday and what? And people seem surprised, but really, should we be that surprised about what what happened and what he called for? 
No, I'm I'm not surprised about Trump calling for violence and uh, and his people trying to carry out those those orders. That doesn't surprise me. What surprised me is the fact that Capitol Security just literally literally opened the gates for them and rolled out the red carpet. And then finally, when it was time to evict them from Congress, literally held their hands and walked them to help them walk down the stairs and then arrest pretty much anybody. That part is the part that that surprises me. And, and it should. Right. We all know about the inequities of American society. And, and uh, <laughs> but you'd think that at least at the Capitol, that that at that place, if nothing else, with the vice president inside and the speaker of the House, number two and three people in succession to the presidency, you would think that with them in that in in that chamber, that security could keep out a bed braggled group of uh, deplorable a-holes that weren't even armed. I mean, I guess it was that easy, right? To to get within uh, feet of some of the most important elected officials in the country. And we know why. I mean, it's it's so obvious why. And I'm surprised, and I shouldn't be surprised, but I that part actually did surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at the Capitol Police. I, I will say this from my own personal experience, um, I have actually been arrested and in the custody of the Capitol Police more than any individual in history um, because of our weekly stated demonstrations. We used to commit civil disobedience every week uh-huh. on Capitol Hill for statehood in the, in the early 90s. Um, I, I found them then, you know, they, they're, let's put it this way, they aren't the most brutal police force in the nation's capital. And there are a lot of them, you know, if this were the Park Service police, whole different thing. Um, MPD, the Metropolitan Police are trigger shy because they've been sued so much. Mm-hmm. Capitol Police just obviously did not have the capacity. But then it appears that some may have even been complicit. Um, oh, at yeah. this point, I have no doubt. Yeah, that there was complicity. Uh, and it goes all the way to the to the federal government, right? Because there was a request for National Guard troops. And since D.C. is not a state, it actually goes through the federal government. And uh, and clearly there was a decision made to block those requests. Yeah. 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 Um, that said. The difference between what we saw with Black Lives Matter protests earlier uh, last year and what we saw last night are night and day, not just in protecting the Capitol, but in enforcing the curfew afterwards. We know that, that that DC police had zero patience for BLM protesters. And as soon as that, you know, uh, you know, reporting back, six o'clock was a curfew, five minute warning. Then there was a couple of one minute warnings. And then at 6.06, boom, you know, or 6.08, something like that, boom, they're starting to make arrests. Yeah. Yeah. They were just sitting around doing nothing yesterday while while those deplorables, you know, deplorable deplorable terrorists refused to go home. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't understand that part. And what's what's interesting is that people aren't saying go and shoot shoot these deplorables and arrest them, you know, at 606. They're saying, why are we being treated differently? Treat us the way you treat them, and right. then we don't have a problem. Because yeah. I don't want to see police shooting protesters, even these deplorables. I don't want to see police shooting them. I mean, once they breach the grounds of the Capitol, then all bets are off, right? I mean, but but uh, 
I don't want them to be shot. I don't even want them to be arrested. If they want to sit there and scream in, in Lafayette Park, you know, let them. But then why are you treating Black Lives Matter protesters differently? Why are you treating uh, climate, you know, climate protesters differently? differently? It's not even BLM, right? It, it was it was the, the climate um, people, the March for Science people got treated differently. I mean, you go down the list and and there was a clear disparity in how these protesters were treated, not to mention the terrorists that actually breached the grounds of, uh, of the Capitol, because that was a whole nother level. I mean, that, that crosses the line into, into seditious, sedition and terrorism. But even the people sitting outside, right, violating curfew. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. treated completely different. That's a problem. Um, when, when I was involved in that, one time we thought about breaching the Capitol and, and having a nonviolent demonstration on the floor of the House of the Senate. And it was explained to us that if you go anywhere near those doors to reach the floor, you will be shot. Mm-hmm. What people need to understand and maybe taken for granted is the reason members of Congress wear a pin is so they can get on the floor. If a member of Congress is not wearing her or his pin, forget about it. And, and there have been stories. I remember Cynthia McKinney a few years ago forgot her pen. They won't let her on the floor. Those pens aren't just for decoration. That's to make sure that you are the person. I mean, that's 500 some odd people. They, they got to let through. So mm-hmm. for those individuals to get to the floor, Marcos, and to sit in the speaker's chair, not to mention the speaker's office, yeah. there had to be some complicity. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what I don't get, um, and you and I haven't talked since the holidays, but and I grew up in Nashville. The Nashville bomber should have let the Capitol Police know. That should have informed everybody. Listen, um, some of these people are like this. They're crazy. They may have a bomb. Now, what if somebody had a bomb? They like did. A bomb? Well, they did. Yeah, they did. They just didn't. They were able to defuse. But what yeah. if someone blew up the Capitol the way they blew up a whole yeah. two or three city blocks in Nashville? I mean, yeah. and only because they're, they don't look like me. Mm-hmm. If you and I we'll go to go down there today. They would have either shot us or locked us up or beat us up or something. But these people, they just let, let go. They literally open the gates for them. Yeah, they did. I That's mean, right. literally open the gate. And there's video of them actually holding the door open as they walk into the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the speculation is that the one woman who was shot and killed by all um, early indications anyway, and of course a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, you know, a lot of information can change, but it wasn't the uniformed policeman. It was somebody in the suit, look, Secret Service, and so the speculation is that they might have gotten close to Vice President Pence, and mm-hmm. that's that's a line that that clearly could not be crossed. Yeah, but there's just no way that somebody that looks like you or uh, um, could have gotten anywhere near. They wouldn't open the gates for you. They didn't. They didn't do it for BLM. It's like we don't even have to. Think about a hypothetical. <laughs> we know for a fact that they surrounded the Capitol with uh, riot gear, militaristically dressed security forces during BLM. And you had a bunch of guys wearing bicycle helmets and <laughs> orange vests for this you know, transfer of power when everybody knew that Trump was inciting these a-holes to... to, to um, Take and you know take violent action, but Mark, I, I will say 
you, you preface this as bad news. And of course, it's bad news in the in the sense of the security breakdown and what it says about our country and things like that. But I actually think this was a good thing long term. Mm. And you're seeing this because when he said you saw they set up those gallows, right? Yeah. And you had people breaking in with zip ties. So it was clear that there was a plan, at least by some of these terrorists, to try to hold members of Congress um, host, uh, hostage and to have show trials. That was clearly part of their, their plan. Um, and we saw that there were pipe bombs in not just in Congress, but at the RNC and the DNC. So both political parties. These people weren't going there for Democrats. Right. They were gunning for Mike Pence. They were gunning for uh, Republican members of Congress that they consider to be traitors to Trump's cause. And you saw in the way that Republic, most Republicans were responding, including even Ted Cruz, who stopped with the, you know, with the challenges to states. Right. The only one who kept going was jo- Josh uh, Holly, Haley, Holly, how do you pronounce his name? Um that there was, there was a sense, I mean, I think you saw it even from Mitch McConnell, where like, what have we created? And yeah, let's look into the 25th Amendment. Yes, let's not throw out the idea of impeachment. Uh, let's not pull, you know, pour cold water on that right away. And I think there's a realization that they cannot control this monster that they've created. And so two days ago, you had the entire Republican Party basically, you know, one-upping themselves to try to win this Trump support. Cruz and Holly and and Tuberville from Alabama, right? They're all like, yeah, we're all going to challenge everything. Uh, not to mention the crazy caucus in the House. Um, that changed really quickly. Like the number, like the appetite to pander to this crowd. Josh Holly kept going, but he's now isolated in a way that he wasn't a couple uh, of days ago. You saw Facebook basically say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, we're banning Donald Trump for at least two weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised if Twitter doesn't follow suit. Uh, the second, I think his bans would be lifted or was lifted. Uh, but I could see them extending that out, right? Because Trump's not going to control himself. There's just no way. And uh, um, before they were more afraid of taking actions like that. Now there's there's like, this is what it leads to. Literally, it led to the occupation of the Capitol by terrorists. And so Josh Hawley, he's gonna keep trying to win that Trump vote because he's he's gone. He's, he's the biggest a-hole in, in the Senate right now, uh, which says a lot because Ted Cruz is in that same Senate, but um, he's isolated now. He, he, you know, people realize that what he's doing is he's playing with fire. There's less appetite for it. And that's not to say that there aren't going to be Republicans still trying to, you know, be the next Trump. It just means that the party at large is a lot less tolerant about it. They're not going to be able to shrug it off and say, oh, he's just he's not being literal. Stop taking them literally. Right. He's, he's talking figuratively. No, people are taking him literally and they cannot pretend that anymore. And. This may lead, and I think it's almost inevitable, it's going to lead to a civil war within the Republican Party. It has to. They, they don't have a choice because they're not going to win with the terrorist deplorables. But this whole orientation has been towards that. And I'm really interested to see what happens when Donald Trump is deplatformed. 
it's inevitable, right? I mean, how much damage can he do on freaking parlor? A fraction of what he what he's doing on Twitter. And you even saw in 24 hours of no Trump on Twitter, things calmed down dramatically. It's <laughs> all it took. So I'm really, really, um, there's going to be a civil war, uh, but at least there's going to be, there's pushback within the Republican party. And the fact that, that people didn't tamp down discussions about the 25th amendment and uh, because you can imagine these deplorables. I mean, Trump gets ousted. Um, it is, you know, they are going to react the way you expect them to react and people need to be ready for that. So um, I actually think the media is going to be, I mean, I was watching the coverage, the media, they had no patience for these terrorists, right? There's no, there's very little both siderisms. And even Maggie Haberman of the New York Times did some tweet that, I actually, I'm, I'm more charitable towards her. I, you know, I got the point she was trying to make, and that's that Donald Trump was a coward and he was hiding in his bunker last time there was a big protest. But she inadvertently, or maybe advertently, equated the BLM protest with uh, with the Wednesday protest, and she immediately pulled it down because it's like, well, yeah, you don't get away with that anymore. Don't even, even by accident, you can't do that anymore. So, um, I don't think the media has an appetite to to both sides these deplorable terrorists. Uh, I think the political class definitely has no patience for it anymore. And so it's a very, very different environment now than it was just a couple of days ago when the whole Republican Party still thought that it was really cute and funny to try to go after the deplorables and try to win their support. Fair enough. That, that makes makes sense it does it does expose um who they really are i guess for me i'm just been processing it as 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 bad news only in the sense that um well maybe i'm i'm not yet as optimistic um that this will bring about the results as you just described first of all a lot of people in the meeting while they're not doing both sides and you know the outrage i'm hearing some people are very late with their outrage you know, cool. you, you know, they yes. some of the very people who helped build up Trump mm-hmm. and provide him that platform four years ago. We could call in everybody's morning show and all day long are now outraged. And I'm like, but but we all know who this was and we know who this is. Yeah, you created uh, that monster. for sure. And, and and so, you know, then, you know, how long can he be deplatform? Why not deplatform him permanently? The thing is, he can he's going to continue to keep SHIT going. There's some conversation about uh, if they were to impeach and remove, he couldn't run for office again, but we know they're not going to do that. They don't have the, 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 the strength or the will to do it. I wish that they would. Um, but this is, it, it, it's just insane. And I think it's troubling too. I mean, people out there doing this literally for nothing, for something that's not even real. Now you realize not one person who went to Capitol said, we know I'm also here. Because I didn't get a, a decent stimulus check. And what can anybody say? I mean, all of us could storm the Capitol for lack of a decent stimulus check, but they didn't even do that. They went down there for something that didn't even happen. Joe Biden did not steal the election. And it's amazing that the power of convincing people of something that literally is not true, as opposed to something that is true. Like, I mean, where is the march? 
for for stimulus check and rebuilding the economy. Nobody's going to do that. But we're going to march for something that didn't, literally didn't happen. But anyway, you know, we can stay on that. I do want to go to what is uh, irrefutably good news. Oh, my God. Um, man, that's major. We, you and I have been talking about Georgia for a decade. Georgia has <laughs> been... Texas and Georgia have been sort of the, the long-term project. And yeah, Mark, I remember 10 years ago, yeah. it was in my old Daily Coast office where I, where I was talking about how there were 750,000 unregistered African-Americans in Metro Atlanta alone. I remember very clearly the, 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 um, the numbers and how, um, how, um, Barack Obama had only lost a state by 300,000. And I remember saying like, it's a, it's, it's a purple state, if not a blue state. Mm-hmm. And to now see that thanks to not just Stacey Abrams, I know she gets all the credit, but um, she helped birth this ecosystem of organizations that have been micro-targeting communities on the ground. Um, for example, I was talking to, to a group that targeted the Desi community, the South uh, Asian Indian community and that community communicates by WhatsApp, WhatsApp. So that activism is directed through WhatsApp. It's just, and it's not a big community. We're not talking millions of people. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands. And, but you squeeze out an extra thousand votes here, you know, 3000 votes there. You know, you, you look at those 18-year-olds that just turned uh, 18 after the November election. There's 40,000 of them. You know who they are because you have the records. You target them. You get 10,000 to turn out and vote. You, that's how you piece together a winning majority. And uh, what Georgia organizers, Stacey Abrams, all the way down what they did is just an incredibly monumental task. And uh, uh, they did it when even, Mark, I remember it was early last year, so early 2020, and I told you, remember, I, I was like, Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock, keep an eye on him. Get him on your show if you can, because that guy is my favorite candidate this entire cycle. He would be unbelievable in the Senate. And I would write about Georgia and people would be like, yeah, it's Georgia. <laughs> it's what you, Georgia, you know, may, maybe definitely, you know, maybe Joe Biden can win Georgia, but a runoff election. I mean, there's just no way Democrats can win a runoff election. And I, I remember thinking like and arguing like, no, we actually have a better chance in a runoff. And historically, we've never, ever, ever contested a runoff. And yet you could go back and, you know, obviously I'm very data driven and we could look and say, Look, these nothing Democrats did pretty well in the runoff. Then win, and they did a little worse. But it's not a big margin if you actually focus on it and and put energy and money behind it. It could be different. And in fact, it ended up being so different that Georgia Republicans are already talking about getting rid of the runoff system because it was originally designed to keep black people from winning statewide office, and now they realized that they may have been able to win both these Senate seat outright in the general election. And they got screwed by the racist Jim Crow system. And that just makes it extra delicious. So I'm excited about um, Warnock. I'm excited about John Ossoff and I'm very proud as a, as a, you know, from Daily Coast 
was the first group to get behind John Ossoff when he ran for the House in 2017. It kicked off the the resistance, the, the sort of electoral resistance, obviously women's march. But the idea that we're going to put money and win elections, John Ossoff kicked that off. It was the most expensive House race in history. It was a special election. He lost it. But Daily Coast, we looked at the data again. We looked at the numbers and said, this is actually a winnable seat. Um, we raised the first million dollars that Joan Ossoff ever raised. People laughed at us. They thought it was freaking hilarious because the previous Republican who held the seat had won the seat by 40 points. So it was actually, why are you wasting people's money on a race on this district? But we knew that the suburbs were shifting. This was, this was uh, suburban. And John Ossoff lost by three points. You know, these moral, moral victories, but, you know, losses that hurt so much. But what he did is he created an infrastructure that Lucy McBath was able to take advantage of. And now she holds that district. And John Ossoff was able to build the list and name ID that then led to him becoming even better a U.S. senator, replacing a horrible, horrible Republican. So all these pieces, it was sort of the, the first battle, electoral battle of the resistance and the last one <laughs> of the resistance. So it's its perfect bookend. So I cannot be more thrilled about having John Ossoff, who is the youngest senator-elect, he'll be senator soon, the youngest since, I believe, JFK. Since the since the sixties, no, since Joe Biden, I think Joe Biden was the last thirty uh, something to be elected to the Senate. So it might have been late sixties, but yeah, it's 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 been about fifty years, 40, 50 years since there's been anybody this young. So you had somebody who was young and had that youth energy, uh, and the youth vote was so incredibly important. And he knew how to use TikTok. I guess he owned TikTok. I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> I'm trying to get into it, man. I'm trying to get into it. <laughs> I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. And so you had you had sort of youth, which I got, you know, unfortunately, the, the Democratic Party is is overly geriatric and there needs to be a, a, a generational shift. And and I think um, John Ossoff is is sort of the new breed, the youth, youthful breed of, of Democrat that I hope to see more of. And then Raphael Warnock, obviously, uh, somebody that gave the black community a you know reason for hope and and the excitement of having real representation in the U.S. Senate for uh, for a state that is you know heavily black and has never had that. It was it was just like this one two punch that that was was quite incredible and outperformed Joe Biden on the ticket. Yeah, that's what's amazing. And there's still some questions and we're still sifting through the data. And so I can't answer them right now. One of the big questions I had was, will the Trump deplorables turn out with other for other candidates? Right, 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 right. That's and the early indication is that the answer was not as many to know. Uh, the drop off was big. We still don't know exactly what the drop offs were, um, but it, it looks that way. It looks like. um the Democratic senators picked up some Biden voters in the richer suburbs, in the higher socioeconomic suburbs, McMansion territory. Uh, people who voted for Biden who who couldn't stomach Trump, who went back and voted Republican in the Senate. Maybe the argument about balancing out, you know, checks of balances may have worked with that crowd. But it wasn't uniform in the suburbs. So even then I'm having, and this is all very early, of course, right? It's only been a couple of days. Uh, and the results haven't even been certified. You're still counting. So it's hard to, dig too much into these numbers because they're not complete. Um, 
but I, I suspect turnout, I mean, obviously turnout in black uh, neighborhoods was just, it was crazy. It was through the roof. Uh, and Mark, this is not getting a lot of uh, attention yet. And I hope it does. Southwest Georgia, which is rural black Georgia, crazy turnout in ways that, that were, you know, we'd never, never seen before. So everybody like Atlanta, and of course, Atlanta's half the, half the vote of the state, but rural white Georgia is massive and it, you know, generated a lot of votes. It was finally offset by rural black, you know, rural um, black areas in rural Georgia. So that was really, really, really exciting to see. And we need to maintain that. And I don't see how we don't in 2022, Mark, because uh, not to jump ahead too quickly, but Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock are both going to be back on the ballot in 2022. Right, right. And right. that may be the tr- dream team. Yeah. And there is a, there's a, there's a sort of a, uh, it's a truism in political science that if you get people to vote two times in a row, you've ne- you've locked them in. They're going to be voters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly difficult to get to anybody to vote once, you know, and then it's a little less hard, but still hard to get them to vote that second time. And this is what happened. People voted for Obama in 2008 and then they didn't vote in 2010 and, we were effed for a whole decade. <laughs> right, right, right. In Georgia, we need to get these first-time voters to to create the habit of voting. And so having both Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock back on the ballot is just going to be like, I'm, I can't, oh, my God, I can't wait for 2022 for Stacey Abrams to get back on the ballot. And I think the whole country is going to have her back, and she's going to raise ungodly amounts of money. Yeah. Um, that said, Republicans are going to spend the next two years trying their best to create new roadblocks to voting because they know they can't win without them. Yeah. yeah. And so they're going to probably try to limit early voting. They're probably going to try to limit um, uh, ballot access, the, the, the stuff they've always done. And they still have the governorship and they still have the secretary of state and they still have the legislatures um, because we weren't able to make ground on those fronts uh, last year. So that's going to be, that's going to be something that we're going to see nationally. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But back to the looming civil war. Ooh. Yeah. How does, does that agenda you just described, how would that be impacted by a civil war? I mean, is, will the civil war within the Republican party include any Republicans who are finally going to say, Hey, let's cut this out. Let's act like we have some sense and try to uh, win some people over rather than to try to exclude everyone. I, there, there's places where that might be the case. And I think maybe Congress is one of them. I don't have a lot of hope in places like Georgia because it's so he- heavily gerrymandered that that the center of power is those for Republicans is those uh, remote rural, you know, 80 percent Republican type of, of, of areas and that's that's the horrible central, right? I mean, that's the only the only election in those districts is the primary, and the craziest voice wins those primaries. It used to be that Republicans there was a balance between rural Republican and suburban Republicans, and the suburban Republicans were more educated, more reasonable, and and you saw that battle play out really uh, obviously in um, in Kansas, where there is a civil war between but as democrats start making ground in the suburbs you start actually it's sort of this irony where you start defeating the more moderate republicans 
And that shifts the center of, of ideological, the, the ideological center of the Republican Party goes way to the right at that point. Mm-hmm. And these people, they don't, they're not, there's no civil war there. Yeah. Because the people that would be on the other side of that civil war are not Democrats. It's where we're making our, our you know, making up our own ground. So um, the courts are going to be really important. Hmm. And the uh, there's there's talk the first HR one, just like it was in the last Congress in the House, is going to be a package of voting rights acts, and a lot of it is reinstating. Um, the the ability of the Justice Department to pre-clear any changes to voting laws. And what they should do is, is historically it's been in areas that have had problems with, with um, racism and voting, mostly the South, but not only the South. Right. I, I haven't looked at the details, but that should be nationally. Like let's not even, let's just make it clear and simple and not target specific regions. Let's just say any changes to voting laws need pre-clearance on one, two, three. I don't care if it's California, Oregon, or Alabama. But you do that, and then you create, you enshrine in law um, certain protections, and it makes it harder for state legislators in places like Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and, and places like that to, to where they still had these heavily gerrymandered majorities that aren't really representative of the state, but they've been able to institutionally give themselves more power we have to be able to defang that and you can do that at the federal level. And so that's going to be the first bill that the house is going to kind of introduce and pass. Um, now we have the Senate, but it's, it's going to be that one vote majority in the Senate. So the question is, can we get it through the Senate? I don't know um, who on the democratic side might be opposed and hopefully just, just sails through. Yeah. I think the biggest problem though is that part of that package is DC statehood. And that's where you might get some Democrats in the Senate get squeamish. And I hope they don't. But um, I mean, at this point, I don't know why. I mean, we, people talking about Mansion too. Oh my God. Mansion has actually been great. Okay. Yeah. Lately. lately. So good, in fact. Lately, lately. So good, in fact. Well, keep in mind, he was running for, he thought he was running for governor two years ago. And so he was god awful. Once he decided he wasn't running for governor, which was a good, obviously, a good choice for us, um, he actually got a lot, lot better. And he's been so good, Mark, that literally today I was, I was, I was just talking, on, uh, we were discussing this in our staff list. And I was like, he, he can't be running for re election. <laughs> he may actually, this may be his last term. Um, and so I, if he feels less shackled, but today he introduced a statement where he basically said that he supported getting rid of Trump. He called him a rogue president. Joe Manchin called Donald Trump a rogue president. He's doing something, yeah, yeah. Uh, and very clearly indicated that he'd be in favor of the 25th Amendment solution or, or he didn't say impeachment, but definitely 25th Amendment. So that's not the Joe Manchin of two years ago, by no, not, no stretch of the imagination. So, um, and before the election, he actually didn't, he didn't oppose expanding the Supreme Court, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a huge one. So it makes me think that he probably isn't running for re-election because remember, West Virginia is a 40-point Trump state. And um, maybe he's finally realizing that he got lucky this last time, but that ain't going to last so um, so why not just go out and just 
be free from those political calculations. Uh, kind of like Doug Jones was in Alabama, right? He was great because he knew he wasn't going to get reelected. So he didn't have to worry about trying to pretend to be a Republican. He was just, he was, he was a decent Senator. Right. That means at that point, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, Kristen Sinema, um, I don't know why she would stand in the way of DC statehood. Uh, Arizona is shifting dramatically. You just had, uh, we just won that Senate race comfortably um, with Mark Kelly. Yeah. And the demographics of the state have shifted. You know, everybody talks about Georgia. We got even more as a percentage. We got more new votes in Arizona than we did in Georgia. Mm, as a percentage. It was about 20 some percent more Democratic votes compared to four years prior. Because just like Georgia, Republicans got more votes. Trump got more. He got more votes compared to 2016 in the raw total. Right. More people voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016 we just blew past it though like we just blew past it and so i mean again politically arizona is shifting dramatically you know bluer and i think in a couple cycles it's going to be like colorado it's going to be a solidly blue state so why would kirsten cinema keep playing and i i yeah, I think I can say this. Like, I actually, I, I, I spent time with Kristen Cinema when she was in the state legislature, and and mm-hmm. and she is she, she was like her politics were to the left of Bernie. I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah. um, she was a leftist. Yeah, and she's been very, very effective at when, as a state was shifting because it was still a Republican state at the at the at the statewide level. She was very good at, at sort of being a chameleon and sort of reflecting what she thinks reflected the state, and it worked. She won, so I, I can't, mm-hmm. like you know, I can't knock her on that. But I, I don't think she needs to play that game as the as the state continues to shift leftward. So, bottom line is, is why would you oppose that voting rights reform that gives that grants DC statehood? And and so, even with fifty one votes, we it, it could happen. Yeah. So. We need it to happen in any case. I mean, the, the, the problem that Democrats have is we cannot win. A, we cannot be winning national elections by eight million votes and still have a big question mark whether we win. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's important. That's, that's the bottom line. And not, that's not even getting into how undemocratic the Senate is. Uh, we just can't do that. And we can't have state legislators, you know, decide that, you know, they're going to they're going to. And particularly in those important battleground states, that, that they're going to kneecap our voters, uh, and then the hope that the that six three Republican Supreme Court does the right thing. I mean, it just we cannot do that and survive as a party. So this this voting reform has to happen. And I know it's the House's priority. Question is, can we get it through the Senate? That's going to be the big question. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, it's too early to to see what all the numbers look like in Georgia. Um, but next week when we talk, maybe we'll know more from civics and elsewhere. Uh, this has been quite a way, uh, quite a week, folks, to start the new year. But well, you know, it's like 2020 is like keeps trying to get into 2021, right? And we're like, oh, <laughs> right, 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 right. there was that moment, and we knew it was going to happen when the big Republican um, counties came in, and David Perdue and Kelly Leffler took the lead. Yeah, yeah. And I never, I we were looking at, okay, we're good because our counties aren't fully in. I think we're going to be okay. But it was like, it felt like 2020 going like, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm still here, right? And 2021's like, push it back. Yeah. And 
And definitely the siege of the Capitol, you know, had that feel. It's like, oh, look, 2020 keeps wanting to, to, to butt in. We won the Senate officially. And then 2020 says, yeah, but <laughs> we're going to stage a terrorist attack of deplorables on the Capitol. Yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> 2021 seems to be winning so far, but. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Uh, Marcos Melissa's folks, uh, Daily Coast founder and Civics with a Q. And Marcos. Uh, Turn my frown upside down in terms of Republicans. I started out bad news and good news, but even pointed out folks for us today how it may not be all bad news what happened at the Capitol. Um, and, you know, anytime you can shine a light on the roaches and get them to scatter, that's not, that actually isn't a bad thing. So, Marcos, as always, we thank you. Uh, thank you. Happy 2021, buddy. Yes, finally, 2021. And <laughs> it's going to yeah. be a better year no matter what. Got to be. Got to uh, be. Hopefully, it's the best year. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Marcos. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.